Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. Hard to believe this is actually episode number 85 and I'm racking them up here this week with, what is this, my fourth or fifth podcast specifically on Silicon Valley Bank. I'm also going to speak about Signature Bank, which I haven't spoke a lot about and there's not as much information out there about that one. But anyway, there's a I'll reference to that a little bit here today. Several interesting articles and topics to talk about. Number one is that was interested to learn that the CPA firm of KPMG did both audits of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. And one of the two, I believe it was Silicon Valley's opinion audit, was issued less than two weeks before all hell broke loose last Friday. Now, of course, They audit as of a point in time, and even though they issued the audit for the end of 2022, when just two weeks before the place was liquidated or taken over, however you want to call it, they did give a clean opinion audit, and clearly there were some risk management issues at the uh, institution, both institutions, Signature Bank as well, but it's just ironic that KPMG did both of these, and a statement from KPMG that said that the audit work considered all the facts available at the time and that market-driven events in the intervening days led to the bank's failure. It's important to recognize that audit opinions, which only address the financial statements and internal controls of the business, are based on audit evidence available up to and at the date of the opinion, the accounting firm said. So as my last podcast said, the blame game has started. Well, people will blame the auditors. People will sue the auditors etc etc all right another interesting video that i saw made reference to the fact that you know both these banks were born of the internet and failed because of the internet i also heard uh somebody indicate yesterday that a lot of the run was started by snapchat and whatsapp which are ways to communicate that can't be tracked legally which when i speak to the or, or harder to track illegally. When I spoke yesterday to you know people being it being illegal, quote unquote, to cause a run at a financial institution, it seems like the trail on that is crowd is clouded. And even if it wasn't clouded, I don't see the government pursuing that because the world's changed and people communicate. You got this at the speed of light on the internet. And in any event, I do believe this was triggered by 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 hedge funds and others that that we're pushing the bank stock down, but that's just that's just intuition on my part. All right, so another interesting person that I followed for quite some time is a gentleman by the name of Edward Harrison, who used to have a newsletter that I subscribed to. He since has moved to Bloomberg, but I get an occasional email from him, and he had an interesting quote from Fed Chair Jerome Powell from September. Powell said, so, of course, monetary policy does, comma, famously, comma, work with long and variable legs. Changes in financial conditions begin to affect economic activity fairly quickly. 
within a few months, but it's likely to take some time to see the full effects of changing financial conditions on inflation. So we are very much mindful for that. Harrison goes on to say long and variable legs. That's it, exactly, isn't it? It's been a year since the Federal Reserve embarked on its most aggressive monetary policy tightening in decades, and the abrupt collapse of Silicon Valley Bank changes everything. Suddenly, the focus is more on financial stability than inflation. From my vantage point, the odds of a recession in 2023 have increased as investors have pulled back from bank stocks. As a result, regional and small banks are likely to raise credit standards and restrict credit availability so they don't become targets too. By the way, Mark Treichel editorial comment, if they're wanting to build up their liquidity in response to what's happened this week, they're going to have to slow their loans down. So I would agree with Mr. Harrison that a slowdown in Approval of loans is a definite possibility as a, an offshoot of, of this week's activity, which then will go into creating momentum for a recession. He goes on to say, as far as inflation goes, we can take the CPI report off the table as a game changer. Even with more core numbers slightly above expectations, the Fed is likely more confident that inflation is going to come down due to the hikes they've already made. So expect 25 basis points at most from the Fed next week as analysts increasingly Look for a pause. The chances of the Fed tightening much more from here are out the window. We need to focus on how tighter credit availability and economic slowing will affect the prices of assets used to underpin credit. As the name of his old website, Credit Breakdown, attests, that's where the business cycles are made and the recent bank failures raise the odds of a slowing into recession. Then he opines on what happened over the weekend. Over the weekend, the Fed and the FDIC took the combined actions to ease the concerns around the decline in government bonds and mortgage-backed securities that contributed to SVB's bankruptcy. So I don't think contagion is likely to be acute. Still, regional banks, especially those reliant on sometimes fickle wholesale funding, have really been hammered in the stock market. The tension is high. I do expect SVB's collapse will ricochet negatively back onto the tech sector and the venture world for months and years to come with untold consequences on tech asset values, especially for non-public companies. The sudden, uh, which would be um, startups, partially startups, the sudden collapse of SVB also points to the systemic risk associated with the higher rate environment impact on asset values. This has me thinking of the collapse of Penn Square Bank and the early 1980s rate environment. Think of the coming period as the first post-inflationary economic environment in 40 years, more akin to the early 1980s than the workout from the Great Recession. It's the changed rate environment and higher for longer that matters because, as in the 1980s, that will durably affect asset values and balance sheets, putting stress on financial institutions. I'm gonna repeat that last sentence. It's the changed rate environment and the higher for longer environment that matters because as in the 1980s, that will durably affect asset values and balance sheets, putting stress on financial institutions. For Mr. Harrison, he says, that means the worst is yet to come for asset classes like commercial real estate. So the follow-up from the Fed's rate hike is not over by a long shot. SVB's insolvency is a signpost of more distress to come. Now, I've always enjoyed his economic analysis. He tends, when when bubbles start to pop and things like this happen, he tends to have a 
a really good summary of what the bad end of the spectrum can be. I'm not opining on whether or not that's happening. That is just Mr. Harrison's opinion, but I do enjoy his writing and it's going to be interesting. The comparison to Penn Square Bank, I think is, is quite interesting. I also listened to a podcast from the Wharton School of Business and wrote down a couple of quotes. That was actually on my walk this morning, but I found that quite fascinating. They talked about how SVB's duration on their portfolio was 15 years, so that when they doubled an asset size, they went quite long on their investment portfolio, a bit longer than I had realized based on other readings. And they also had a very interesting point, a couple points saying, do we even have uninsured deposits now? Because they bailed them out, right? And these are systems in place to bail them out like that. Should they do the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and the FDIC all agree that it needs to happen? Of course, they need the president's blessing on that under the law. However, do we even have uninsured shares, uninsured deposits? That's a question for the future. They also reminded me of the fact that from 2008 to 2012, during the Great Recession, a law was passed that made bank accounts of businesses, checking accounts of businesses, if they did not pay interest or dividends, so a 0% interest rate checking account was fully insured. One way to calm down business accounts in financial institutions so that liquidity was more stable. That makes a lot of sense right now. However, politically, the way the House is being controlled by Republicans, how the Senate is being controlled by Democrats, and of course, the White House is being controlled by Democrats. Do they have the ability to get that done, especially with all the mudslinging of everybody wanting to blame the other side that's going on? So in a perfect world, maybe that's what would happen is there'd be a new law that would do that to calm things down. Alternatively, they have the stopgap of insuring the uninsured, which, as I've said in uh, in previous podcasts, in my opinion, is a bailout just because they don't charge the American public. They're charging the banks. And guess what? When they charge the banks, it just trickles down to who? The American public. All right. Well, what else do we have today? I don't think all the ramifications of of what has happened have played out yet. Oh, one last thing. I know that the Federal Reserve is doing a webinar on their new lending function. I believe that's tomorrow. You should have been notified or there's lots of trade publications talking about it. But if that's something that interests you, that that would be something that you should listen to and see if that's a something that can help your credit union and accordingly then help your members. All right. Short one today. This is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 